0: you And welcome back to the pod and the pendulum We are the horror movie podcast Dedicated to covering all the franchises One movie in one episode at a time As always, I'm your host, Mike Snoonian So today we are continuing to play with our toys We are here to talk more about Chucky We are here to talk about the 1990 sequel Child's Play 2 And as I said last time Toys are not fun to play with by oneself. No euphemisms. So we have some friends together for another play date. More no euphemisms. So please, let's welcome to the show. Coming back again, a, a going to be one of our regulars now going forward from the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club, Devon Taylor. Devon, how are we? You're doing
1: fantastic. I'm a I'm on a I'm on a mission to make you regret this whole panel thing and how many times I can <laughs> really how many times I can come back on this. You know, just like just just like Chucky will go on to say in the series, I always come back.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was going to say make me regret it because I think this is it. I think like at this point like this will be kind of like the third revamp, but I think at that point like all right, we've had a good run. So if you make me really regret this, you can say I killed the show. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. I'll take that
1: honor if it happens.
0: And dozens of people would be upset. Uh no, <laughs> more than that. Um also, welcome back. He, I believe, will be a, a regular going forward. He has guested on a number of our shows. He is the co-host of the Disenfranchise podcast. We have Mr. Stephen Foxworthy. Stephen, how are we?
2: Ah, uh, very, very well. Thank you so much for asking. Very excited to uh, to talk about my second favorite child's play movie. So, Excellent.
0: yeah. What's your first?
2: Bride. Oh, it's got to be Bride.
0: Got to be Bride. Bride's Excellent. a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. Ride. I will let listeners know t- uh, two episodes from now. It will be the horniest episode we ever do. <laughs> it will be shameful. Well, it should be. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. And I recently recently discovered. I did a, a counseling session last night, and I counseled two brothers in fifth and sixth grade, respectively. And they're one of them was like, "Oh yeah, we we found your podcast," and I'm not sure which one he found. So I'm a little nervous. I'm like, you're way too young to listen to either of them, but we'll see what happens. But you know what? We have someone else who we are welcoming back to the show. It has been a long time, and she is one of the foremost fans of the Child's Play series. She knows it like the back of her hand. She is also the co-host of the wonderful podcast, Movies for Life. Let's welcome Michelle Egan back to the show. Michelle, how are we?
3: I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me back. I probably won't be a regular (laughs) contributor. Oh, you're like,
0: (laughs) okay. You're like, wow. You're like, I don't want to come back. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Great. You're like, fuck you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michelle, what is your favorite? The original. So basically after the original, it's all downhill is what you're saying. No.
3: It just keeps getting better and better, even with the series. I love the series. Okay.
0: Okay not sure how the logistics of that work out with the first being your favorite but it's you know that's either here or there It's all
3: right it grows it's now just, i'm just being a, argumentative it's a franchise that just keeps growing in ways that you never would have imagined from the first one and that's kind of what i love about it mm-hmm.
0: you know what that's an excellent point so i guess that you know let's kick things off like let's before we talk about the movie itself like let's talk a little bit about how we first encountered this movie and you know maybe Michelle and Steven a little bit about your thoughts of the series as a whole so Michelle why don't you kind of lead things off when did you first encounter child's play 2 or the series as a whole and how does it make you feel watching
3: it Uh, i can't really remember specifically when or like how old i was or anything like that i don't have that kind of memory for when Mm -hmm. i first saw movies but i am i know i saw um at least the first two child's play movies um, because of my sister, like her having sleepovers with her friends. And I was like the budding horror fan who wanted to see as much as I could. And so I watched this, I pretty much watched the first and the second one kind of the same amount of time. So I kind of, I love them both, even though I kind of gravitate, gravitated more towards the original. And I watched these Mm -hmm. first two like over and over and over again as a kid. It also played like all the time. I remember on USA, so i would just watch it every single time it came on and uh, chucky was the still is to this day the only thing from a horror movie that i've ever had like recurring nightmares about really Uh, but that was just that just made me love him even more it was like i was scared of it but i also just wanted to watch him like all the time so it just kind of grew from there and now he's my favorite it's my favorite the original is my favorite horror movie of all time this is my favorite franchise
0: was it specifically Chucky that gave you nightmares, or was yes. it Chucky as well as other toys?
3: <laughs> no, just Chucky. Like I could just, just Chucky could just imagine him like sneaking into my bedroom while I was sleeping and just you know killing mm-hmm. me. <laughs> That's. Oh, I was going to say, what was
0: your worst Chucky nightmare?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I I told this on the on our podcast, but like I had this really like specific vision. Like I used to have to sleep with my my legs like curled up to my chest. Cause I could just imagine him like popping up from the end of the bed and like attacking mm-hmm. me that way. That's the, that's the thing I remember the most about being a kid, but I still Excellent. loved it. And I still wanted to watch it all the time. Cause I was nuts like that. And it was awesome.
0: It's amazing how the things that scared us as kids, we grow up to really love and appreciate mm-hmm. more. I know for me, I had a vampire record that was like an interview with Dracula and it scared me so bad. My dad, like, threw the record out and took the record player away for like a month because that's how bad the nightmare was oh wow and to this day like i salem's lot and stuff like that it's like amongst my favorite horror things because it still gets me um yeah it burrows deep inside
3: it really (laughs) does (laughs) It,
0: it really does devon how about yourself i know last time we um, or on together, you talked about your love for the original movie, but how about this one? Yeah,
1: um, it, see, I saw the series, like, so out of order, which is totally not like me. Like, I'm very much, like, I like to, like, go in order. I'm a completionist kind of guy. But, like, for some reason, I just saw the series so out of order. So I saw Bride and Seed first, then went back and saw the first one. Then I watched Curse and Colt when those came out. And then I went back and watched two and three whenever I was covering it for my podcast. <laughs> and uh, so, like, I I had only seen this one maybe a year or so ago. And um, I don't know. I really dig this one. I feel like it's, like, kind of similar to Halloween 2, that this is, like, a forgotten really great sequel. Like, when people talk about, like, mm-hmm. really good sequel follow-ups. Um, this one isn't mentioned all that often, and, like, as far as improving on pretty much everything from the first one, um, in most ways, you know, from uh, Andy's uh, character progression, we get more personality from Chucky in this one, uh, the set pieces are bigger, um, and it's just, we kind of get, a, you know, a lot of uh, more of the hallmark things that we're going to see Um permeate through the rest of the franchise um so yeah i really like this one i'd say this is i think this is my third favorite of the series
0: mm-hmm. I'd say. steven how about yourself um
2: so i as a child i had a just a general knowledge of chucky just because how could you not i think i distinctly remember all of my friends were obsessed with saying sorry jack chucky's back mm-hmm. i don't know if that was around the time this movie or the third one i know it was a tagline for this one i think he actually says it in the third one Mm -hmm. Um, but like all my friends were kind of obsessed with that. So I kind of knew what Chucky was, even though, uh, as I've stated many times on this podcast and my own, I was a gigantic coward as a child, uh, and also grew up in a religious family. So no horror movies for Steven whatsoever, if not for the nightmares, then for the, you know, the devil of it all. Right. Uh, so I watched this franchise in its entirety for the first time back in July, um, mm-hmm. I, I, again, as I've mentioned, I just kind of went on a binge where I would either watch an entire director's filmography or an entire franchise. And I, in July, I did the child's play Chucky franchise. I did all nine of those things. I watched, um, or all 10, I guess, cause I watched the, the remake as well. Um, so watched all those Watched curse on my birthday actually. So that was, that was fun. fun. Um, but yeah, I, as, and as I was watching this one in particular, I just, I had enjoyed the first one, but I thought this one took what started as like a very kind of almost cookie cutter, somewhat formulaic, but for the setting uh, adjustment of the first film. And then just through the absolutely demented use of like camera motion and deep focus and just that absolutely bug nuts bananas final scene in the factory just took everything that I liked about the first movie and started to incorporate the things that would become my favorite elements of the later franchise, like all the campiness and the, the cheesiness and the goofiness that I really kind of latched onto in the latter half of the franchise. And it, it kind of bridges that gap and kind of becomes this great linchpin of the, of what everything this franchise
0: can be and should be. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I, and I think we'll talk about that as we talk about the movie, about how, this really sets the stage for like those late nineties entries, mm-hmm. um, Donna, and like bride and curse, like the DNA of it. I think you see in this movie here, um, for me, like child's play is definitely one of those series I bounced around with. I don't think I watched any of them as a kid and I would have been like a high schooler or just starting high school when the first one, came out and I was definitely very aware of Chucky uh, I thought he was like a really cool character and he's one of those characters like you knew about without ever having seen a movie like I think I've said this like before I ever saw Friday the 13th like I knew who Jason was um, and I had a cousin who claimed to have seen the movie so it would tell me like oh yeah and this one he talks and has a baby. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. And then realize he was a fucking liar. Um, So I, you know, I think I saw like Brian and Chucky first and then the original one and enjoyed them both. But I don't think I actually watched this movie until I bought the box set last year. There was like a crazy deal on like the original series, like all of the uh, original movies, minus the reboot for like 20 bucks on Amazon on Blu-ray with like a really nice lenticular cover. Um, and I'm like, sign me up for that. Like I could either buy the Screen Factory original movie for 30 bucks or all of them for 20. And I don't, I don't think I ever watched the second movie until I started to dig through the box set. And I think I might like it just a little bit more than the first one. Um, I think both are great. Uh, and to Devon to your point I think like this should be like a Halloween 2 or Friday the 13th Mm 2 where it's a movie where you're like what are the really great sequels to like classic original entries to a franchise like this does all of the things that the first movie does really well and builds on it Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little bit nastier for one thing I think that like you get a very mean-spirited explanation for Karen not being involved. Like, yeah. she's in a mental asylum. You're yeah. like, ooh, you know, Andy is essentially an orphan in this movie. Like, little orphan Andy. Um, oh my gosh. You know, I will definitely be saying that a lot. <laughs> oh, show. my gosh. Um, it
3: turns out all right at the end of the series with her. I.
0: You know what? I haven't watched all of the last one yet. I started watching cult and don't know why I didn't finish it. So cult's good. I like cult.
3: I like cult a lot. And the, the, the
1: orphan theme kind of keeps going throughout the series too. So like once you like get caught up on the films Mm -hmm. and then into the series. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which I haven't seen the TV show yet. I need to, I need to find that and check that out.
0: I think I'm five or six episodes in. I got a few left. Um, and i'm enjoying it even though i hate every character on the show i'm really enjoying the show yeah well the lead character in the show he makes this face I like know. it looks like he's sucking on lemons like all the time
4: i
1: know i'm so glad someone else noticed that like
4: I, he has one face that
1: he i did not want to say anything acting, but yeah that
0: face <laughs> Yeah, and it's like he looks like the dude from Entourage, like a mini version of him. Like oh, if this no. was like Austin Powers, it would be the dude from Entourage, and then this kid would be Mini Me. <laughs> um and it's just like and he's fine, he's a good character, but the face and then like his like boyfriend in the movie, like has a, a, a like a high schooler's body and like a five year old's face. And it's so weird to me. It is super weird. <laughs> I don't know if you're selling me on this or detracting me, but I'm kind of intrigued. Shucky is awesome in it. And Jennifer Tilly is awesome in it. And Fiona Dorf is. Fiona Dorf is fantastic in those last couple of movies. Yeah. And Devin Sawa is awesome in the show too. So um, I am now making fun of children and how they look. So I should probably move on. I'm feeling like super (laughs) mean. Um, Let me just call my child into here and insult her. I don't know. Let's go for it. Or I can yell at my dog. Um, I won't do well, that. No. So it, it feels more mean spirited. Anything that Jenny Agutter's in, I'm going to love. I like, was
2: going to say, that's got to be a huge, uh, huge selling point for you on this movie.
0: You know, just as I'll remind listeners, like nurse Alex is probably 90% of the reason I married a British woman. <laughs> Like when I met her, I'm like, I could pretend that I'm having sex with nurse Alex from American world in London. If I close my eyes and focus on the accent and we got married, I know, have so. follow
2: up questions and I don't want to ask such a romantic. Go ahead. No, I'm, no, I'm not going to ask. Go ahead. You can
0: ask. you were friends here. You can ask.
2: No, I would just, I was just curious what the role playing
0: situation was. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, man. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty good. I am very briefly going to just kind of discuss a little bit about the background of the movie and then we'll just dive right in. So, first film movie comes out 1988. It makes three times its budget before going on to VHS. It makes like 45 million in a budget of like up to 13 million. So, obviously, at that point, the idea is like we're going to make more of these things because we talked about this a little bit before, like slashers aside from Elm street in the late eighties, like they're not doing great. And then you have this pretty big hit Um, for the second movie, like Don Mancini gets the sole writing credit on it. Um, And John Lafayette who had rewritten Mancini's original script and had helped add things like the voodoo element to it um, was in the director's chair. And unfortunately like Mr. Lafayette, like he passed away in 2020 Uh, and is no longer with us um he did a number of like really fun b movies throughout his career and it was kind of like neat watching him take this over and it's like getting the band back together like and i think one of the things that's nice about this series like mancini's involved in so many of them um david kirschner the producer is involved in all of them like even to this day with chucky the show um But right at the moment they decide, like, we're going to make more of them, this is where the rights issues are going to start to go a little wonky, which is going to be important later on down the road when it comes to naming rights. And then finally, when the franchise really splits into two with, like, the studio saying we're going to be doing um, more child's play movies and Don Mancini having the right to do more things with Chucky. Um, but this is where that kind of starts because what happens right before um, they're about to filming like United Artists, the studio behind number one, they're on board for multiple sequels. They're like, we can make a bunch of these things. And right before they start filming in October of 89, uh, UA president Richard Berger tells Kirshner, look, you got to hold off. Our studio is about to be um, purchased by... Um, an Australian company, Quintex, and the head of that company, Christopher Scassi, basically puts the kibosh on producing any horror movies. So at that point, um, the rights to Child's Play go up for sale, and there's a bidding war for Chucky. and A lot of studios get involved, including Walt Disney Studios, which it's really weird to think about Child's Play being under the Disney banner I am guessing that that would have been under Touchstone Pictures or like studio in the 80s and 90s and produce like a lot more adult fare. Or um, another label or
2: something that they would create just for that yeah. kind of a property.
0: And then at that point, Steven Spielberg is actually the one to convince Kirshner, hey, accept the bid from Universal Studios, which is ironic because the original title The Child's Play was Batteries Not Included. Which is a movie that Spielberg would go on to produce himself, um, which is a much different movie. Oh, yes. The only other fun fact I have is uh, composer uh, Graham Revell, who would go on to have like a pretty illustrious career in... Um, soundtrack composing soundtracks he convinces universal to let him do the composition for this movie and conduct it because he basically lies to them about like their about his uh orchestral conducting experience which he had none of but he was like oh yeah i've done all these different things he basically posed the george costanza i'm a marine biologist move nice so pre-internet man you could do so much so all right, we're going to dive into the uh characters of the movie now. So, I'll ask all of y'all and uh, we'll start with you, Devon. Like, what do we think of Chucky this time around? Like, more of the same old same old or what's evolved with Chucky for this movie?
1: Yeah, I I definitely feel like this is the one where we really get Chucky's personality, like more of Charles Lee Ray like in it, not just this not just this haunted doll, but, you know, that there's actually, it's inhabited by a person that, you know, has lived a life and, like, actually has a personality. So, I feel like we get a lot more of that. We get a lot more of um, his sense of humor. You know, he he's uh, cracking a little bit more jokes. Um, you know, the the scenes that are also just, like, kind of visually funny, both scenes where he's, like, holding people up to make him drive them places and There's always like some like uh, funny bits going on there. I just really do feel like this is um, more the one where Brad Dourif's um, vocal performance is like really shining through. Um, Not not that it wasn't in the first one, but it's just like we don't get as much of um, of it since in the first one so much of um, you know the the plot is Chucky hiding that he's even alive in the first place. So it's like we really don't get as much of them. So it's like in this one. He's really, you know, in the center stage a little bit more. And uh, Brad Dorr seems to be a little bit more comfortable. This is where we like really first hear his uh, signature laugh for the first time. And some of his other uh, catchphrases. Um, I think it's just um they, they stepped it up uh, in a really good progression, but without him like going, you know, into stand-up territory. Because he's still just like pretty damn evil in this.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... I mean it's it's really dürf show in this one uh, to to a much greater extent. Like I think the first one is here's chucky and then the second one is okay now that we've got the introduction out of the way let's really lean in and and you do kind of you start to lean into the comedy but there's still it's cut with a good deal of menace. Um like he is still a legitimate threat throughout the entire run of this movie and he's kind of scary like the scene in the in the basement where Andy's uh, he's he's basically trying to hunt down Andy and hiding behind the sheets and all the various the scene in the closet with the teacher like there's there's a legitimate menace to the character and Dourif sells that entirely through a vocal performance I mean the physical performance by the puppet also great but I mean it, it's Dourif's voice acting that really kind of knocks it out of the park so 100% a much much more compelling Chucky in the second movie for sure
3: uh yeah this one is obviously totally different from the first one because for most of the first one um we don't know whether or not it is actually chucky that is alive but now that it it seems like they're having a lot more fun with this because it's like okay now we know it's chucky now we can really like have fun with it and let Dorif just yeah do his thing and um yeah his laugh I've met actually met Brad Dourif a couple of times and his voice like still kind of creeps me out a little bit because <laughs> I just hear Chucky and that laugh like uh, it's it's intense and it it doesn't seem like it fits with this um little doll's body but it's it's so funny and he gets to have so much personality there's like a little hint of it like one of my favorite lines from the first one is just when he's in the elevator and the the old couple says something about how he's an ugly doll and you just hear chucky say fuck you and so <laughs> i lo- that's that was always one of my favorite lines but there's like there's so much more in this one and it's a joy to watch like some of the other characters especially my girl kyle interact with him and who can like match him really well that's fun to watch and um yeah he's great as always
0: (laughs) i really enjoy the performance in this one and i think to what you're all saying in the first movie in, in mancini's original script for the first movie It was left much more ambiguous for the first couple acts whether or not it was a killer doll or whether or not andy was a little murderer and then eventually chucky would emerge like even the poster art obscures chucky in the first movie Hmm. and then it's hard to see that when you
3: yeah it's hard to see that when you watch Mm -hmm. the movie the first movie again just because chucky is so well known but if you kind of watch that with that in mind you can see where they were kind of playing with that a little bit more through most of the scenes
0: absolutely Mm -hmm. um this movie feels a lot like elm street three and friday the 13th three in that everybody knows like the reason you're coming to this movie is to see the bad guy and we are going to give him to you front and center like there's that famous tv spot with like the jack in the box where Mm -hmm. uh like chucky murders it and he's like like you said steven sorry jack chucky's back um I think this is what the, they use the line in this one. Don't fuck with a Chuck, um, which is no, one that, that he wanted to one. use. It's in the third one. OK, uh-huh. um, my bad. Um, and it's his show. So you get just a lot more gleeful performance. Um, you definitely see the seeds of where Chucky is going to be going in future installments. Um, Durf is just like his... He, He's perfected the Chucky voice and the mannerisms, and he imbues this hunk of plastic with such fucking personality Mm -hmm. um, that you can almost forget that it's a doll Mm -hmm. sometimes. It's really wonderful, and we'll talk about some of those key moments later on, but I do think he's... You know, but to every good villain, your best villain is only as good as your the hero that fights him. And returning once again is, you know, Alex Vincent is little Andy Barclay. So what do we think of a two years older and a little bit wiser Andy in this movie? I
1: mean, like I feel bad for like how hardened this little boy is already. Like Mm -hmm. he is just like he's already been through so much. He's still so young. And he still carries that really well of like, you know, you still see like at the end day is still a kid has like, you know, some semblance of innocence to him. And, um and you still see that, but then, you know, whenever he just like straight up says some like real shit out of nowhere. And then you're like, Oh damn, Andy, like, I feel bad that all this has happened to you. And um so we, it, it, they definitely do get that balance again of like, you know, him being just ridiculously adorable and likable, but then also, you know bringing a surprising amount of emotional weight you know and Mm -hmm. having and having a character like kyle for him to play off of in this you know someone Mm -hmm. younger but is also someone that doesn't treat andy like a kid even though he is still very young like she doesn't treat him as such because she's like yo you've been through some shit like i get it like i get what it is i'm gonna treat you as such so Mm -hmm. like having her there also like very much enhanced um his uh his portrayal for me
2: Mm -hmm. and i mean i'm usually not terribly positive on child actors and most of it is just kind of the mannered way in which they deliver dialogue and i think it takes me a little bit to get over that in this movie but once i'm over that um just the way that alex is able to alex vincent is able to portray like the Tra- the the trauma that Andy has been through as a result of the events of the first movie is really quite astounding uh and I don't think he really gets the credit he deserves for being able to pull that off at that age um the scene where chucky comes or the the good guy doll rather comes tumbling out of the of the closet um i i mean it you could see how that would absolutely scar that kid um and th- just th- that he is able to play that as well as he is i think is is really quite incredible. Um, that he didn't have more opportunities as a young actor is uh, uh, kind of a bummer, really, because no. uh, I think he never quite gets over this movie, or maybe he decides to do other things and actually enjoy his childhood. I'm not sure what his story is, but that we didn't see more of him, I think, is, is a bit of a bummer for me.
3: I've never really, I've never thought too much, actually, about um, his, his acting, but he is really good. And Um, I I especially at that scene like right at the beginning when um, he's just talking I guess to one of the therapists at uh, wherever the foster care facility is like while the parents are being interviewed Um, he's like he's talking about like this really horrible thing that happened like this he got into my good guy doll and he wanted to to kill me and he kind of smiles at the end of that scene but you can just you can still see that there's something behind it like this kid is not okay and they even the movie even kind of plays a little bit with uh, what he's been through. Like um, one thing that's kind of funny but also really horrifying when you think about it is when um Chucky uh murders uh, Grace DeBricki's character, the I forgot her name. I think her name is Grace in the in the movie. It's also Grace. Yeah. Grace <laughs> Pool, yeah. I always forget that Grace Pool, that's right. Um he after um they get locked in the room with her. Uh, he ha- Andy has a moment where he's kind of staring at her dead body, and Chucky says something like, "What? Snap out of it! You act like you've never seen a dead body before." <laughs> when it's like, this kid has totally seen a dead body, and that's not cool. You know, he's seen yeah. too many dead bodies. He's that's the problem. Too many dead bodies everywhere yeah.
0: Andy goes, people die.
3: Yeah, and it's, that's kind of played off for like a laugh. When you really think about it, it's like, oh shit, that's this kid is too young to to know about this mm-hmm. stuff. But mm-hmm. um, he's actually holding his own pretty well and um i love something i hadn't really thought about before um, too much was i love the way that he he understands that the the foster parents or at least um the dad is a little bit more hesitant about taking him in which he has a very good reason for it you know he doesn't know if they're going to be able to handle a kid who's been through this kind of trauma if they're like if he actually asked if, if they're qualified for it which is a very good question for him to ask but i like how andy kind of sees that he needs to he works work through it and the way that he takes the the doll that he thinks is the tommy doll that's actually the chucky doll and like it starts to play with it like that's him taking a step to work through like really serious drama yeah. to like actually play with the doll and i think like, that was really impressive mm-hmm.
2: There's a part of that that feels very performative to me, though, because he hears them talking about mm-hmm. we don't know yeah. if we're going to be able to keep him, and so it's there's a performative aspect to it. But the fact that he is at least taking the steps, I think, is yeah, is yeah. An interesting. Like he's trying
3: to please sure. them, but he's also that's also like a huge thing for him to do. You it's know? like yeah.
2: it's maybe him like trying to
1: convince himself, yeah, you know, you that like yeah. you know that like no, maybe this all was a bad mm-hmm. dream, you know. So it's like it's still like yeah, like good and bad, like still very tragic in like that way. Yep.
0: And there is a form of non-directive child play therapy that is used where you put a kiddo in a room with all sorts of like toys or art or puzzles, and you just let the child wander to whatever he wants and play with it. And you don't ask him any questions. You just make observations You don't disagree with anything they say. You just kind of like will observe them and you might reflect on like, oh, I noticed that like you are, you know, punching that doll right now. I wonder what that might be about. But you're not asking them anything and you're not steering them away from anything. Well, why are you playing with this? Play with this instead. And you see what happens and you see that when he goes back and he gets the doll off the swing. You didn't have to, you know, didn't have to bring it with him. Um, back in the house but that is what a choice that he makes um and it's an interesting one um I like Alex Vinson's performance in this one and I think in the first movie I said he's kind of like acting without acting like to your point mm-hmm. Stephen he has that very childlike thing of just delivering lines like Chucky is yeah. my best friend mm-hmm. and he's there's like no performance really there and it's this is the very... thing I need to say now <laughs> yes. And it's really cute because he is so young. You know, he's just this little kid. He's kind of like he reminds me of Jake Lloyd a little bit in um, *Phantom Menace*. Except, fair comparison, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, except Jake Lloyd didn't. You know, uh, Alex Vincent didn't ruin my childhood. No, I'm kidding. Jake Lloyd didn't (laughs) do that either. Um, Get over it, people. They're movies for children. Thank you. Yeah, and I love them. You know, I'm an inner child, but think this time around like Vincent has a little bit more going on, like the look he gives the therapist. There's a look of resignation that he carries around with him throughout this movie mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. nobody believes me. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and how and it's kind of like not even that he's hurt, but he's come to expect it at this yeah. point. You mm-hmm. know, he's like I know that you're not going to listen to me. I'm going to keep telling you the truth, but I know I'm tilting at windmills here. There's also some really fun comical moments as well. Like when he delivers like the microchip line in the school, when he's like with the bully,
2: what does that even mean?
0: I have no idea, I have no idea, but it sounds really cool. And on all honesty, like I may at some point, like use that line, like get lost microchip because you can (laughs) say that to somebody and not get you know, gonna, like who's going to get offended? You're going to freak them out because they're going to like, wait, what is microchip? What? what is that? Why
2: is that an insult? Is that what a bad, that a bad exactly. thing? That,
3: that's
1: how it, it works with there.
2: kids. The the more mm-hmm. confusing
1: the
0: insult, the more effective it is. <laughs> exactly. Touche. Um, but also like I'm thinking about the end of the movie when he's like sliding back down the ramp, and he gets this massive like bug eyed look. Like it's a really fun comical look like there's a real performance here uh, unlike the first movie and it is quite good it's a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and I can understand him not being in the next movie because it's kind of age up the character a bit and it is nice seeing him return for uh, the show um, which has been kind of and also the later movies as well but yeah I don't he hasn't really done anything outside of this movie these movies has he they're like I don't think so he's kind of like bread and butter
1: yeah. Maybe yeah. it was
0: like one of those he didn't want to be like the
1: kid actor known for that one thing, but then mm-hmm. ended up not getting other stuff yeah. and he's like, "No, okay, I'm back now."
0: He <laughs> reminds me of the really cute kid from Family Ties that joins the show in the later seasons, but I can't think of who that kid is. I feel like is I feel like that's Brian Bonsall. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. He just has that kind of charm to him um yes that okay is Brian Bonsall. a couple of yeah a couple of you have mentioned his running mate in this movie uh kyle played by uh Christina who i remember from beverly hills yep. 90210
3: emily valentine
0: uh, emily valentine who is brandon's like bad girl girlfriend for a little while like i didn't want kelly i didn't want i actually did want brenda didn't always i didn't want donna <laughs> I wanted Emily Valentine, man, because that girl looked like she knew how to party. Like she was a, you know, this is, you know, when I watched this movie again, I honestly thought it was the same performer who played Rachel from Halloween 4. Like she actually looks a lot like her. I'm like, this is like Rachel from Halloween 4 if she fucked. I mean, basically that is how I would describe this character and i love like our real intro to her which she's like just like ripping butts in the basement you know doing laundry and i think you know you know actually we'll talk about it michelle you mentioned how this is one of your favorite final girls in the it's notes my can us talk about
3: that final girl let's
0: talk about that
3: oh i could go Take on and on about kyle do it <laughs>
0: We got time to fill. So do it.
3: Kyle is absolutely my favorite final girl of all time. I don't know. I've always gravitated towards her because I mean, for one, yeah, she comes off as a very cool girl. Like when we first meet her, she's smoking a cigarette in her room and she's wearing the motorcycle hat and the boots and everything and the motorcycle hat, which she would actually bring onto uh, 90210 from came from this
4: movie.
3: Um, but eggs. but she's also like completely different on the inside than how she presents herself on the outside she's been we learned that she's been in foster care basically her entire life since she was she said her mom put her up for adoption when she was three years old and she never knew her dad So she's been through this. She says she's never been in a home for more than a month. And so you would think that she would have this very, like, I hate everybody. I hate the world thing, like um, abandonment issues, all that kind of stuff. But she doesn't really have that. She's still a very uh, put together person. She's a very good person who recognizes the good in other people. Like she, you would think that her, attitude would be like antagonistic towards um phil and joanne but she's not at all because she recognizes that they're actually good people even phil when andy asked her you know know, phil's kind of grouchy sometimes isn't he and she says well he's not really that bad and he's not (laughs) like they're both they're both good people who really care about them and and she sees that and you can see the compassion that she has for them later on after um after phil is killed and everything um And the way that she becomes such a mentor for Andy, somebody that she recognizes, you know, is new to the foster system and is probably going to need a little bit of guidance. Um, She gives that to him. And especially um, when things really go downhill and we got to fight Chucky now, she does everything that she can to save this kid, to continually go after this kid that she barely even knows for how long has it been? It's not even been like a week. <laughs> that mm-hmm. they, they he's been in this house um, yeah they bond she, quickly yeah they she forms a really nice bond they have a really sweet relationship um and she fights so hard at the end. i love I, I fucking love her so much
0: <laughs> well i wonder on the bonding thing and again i don't even this might be reading too much into it like because she has moved to so many homes how she's had to learn to like quickly you can either like a make no attachments at all mm-hmm. and be completely closed off or b you tend to like say i have a very compressed time here so i'm going. you know she likes maybe playing the big sister role and she can adapt mm-hmm. to that very quickly
3: that's possible mm. yeah
0: yeah it, you can just tell that she you know again
1: like she treats him with like a certain maturity that she like sees that no one else around him is and like she is like, you know, also feels so bad for him going through the traumas that like he's going through at such a young age. And you know, and she's just, yeah, she's she's not like she's just trying to get through it. She's just trying to get to, you know, being an adult. Like there's the part where she's like, you know, the Joanne's getting on her about working too much. And it's like, what parent she's ever gets on somebody himself, about working yeah. too much? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> which is like interesting, but she's like, no, I gotta save up money. So it's like it's very interesting. And And it's just um, something we we don't really see in movies too much, you know, that, um, you know, explore the foster system of like, you know, what happens to someone after a tragedy. And then, you know, these um, different sibling dynamics that, um, you know, that you're not exactly used to. And I like that, you know, this would be something that, you know, the series would continue to push, you know, exploring things that we don't exactly see on screen as often. So uh, I like that, you know, we have that so early in this.
2: Yeah yeah i I honestly don't think I can say anything else that you guys haven't said already. I, I mean, she's a badass with a heart of gold, and that's just one of yeah, my favorite exactly. character archetypes you know it's just it's it's that kind of back and that duality that that she plays and and she plays it very well. so I mean it it it's a really fun character. I'm glad that we get to see her return uh I think it's at the very end of one of the latter movies, but I hear she's in the show as well. Mm-hmm. Cult. So I, yeah. she is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I yeah. flipped my yeah. shit
3: when she showed up at the end of Cult. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah.
2: I was like, oh my gosh, Kyle's back. That's awesome. <laughs>
3: that's, uh,
2: and that's so I hear she's in the show guys. again. So I, that, that honestly is a yeah. big selling point she for is. the show for me as I, I yep. wanna, I wanna see her continuing adventures. Absolutely.
0: And she, she and Andy in and the show like play off one another. Yeah really well as well like they really haven't missed a beat and you almost feel like those um, actors kind of like bonded a little
2: bit too because that kind of i mean those performances particularly for someone as young as alex vincent was are kind of hard to fake Mm -hmm. uh so you can tell that she really helped him to feel very comfortable in their scenes together because i think Mm -hmm. honestly that's probably some of his best acting in the movie is when he's acting opposite her it's, it's that way for the show too. Um,
1: awesome. Yeah. He's a he, he, yeah. I'll say he's a little rusty, but when he is acting yeah. his best, it's it's with Kyle. Oh, yeah. that's, that's good to
0: hear. I'll yeah. say, and this is like it seems like the people behind the scenes in the first two movies like really liked Alex Vincent. Um there was I think in the director's commentary, Kirshner talks about Chris Sarandon going out of his way to being like really nice to Alex Vincent and like coaching him along and like almost being like a surrogate dad on the set, you know, and Kirshner made the point to say he's like, at the time I thought that was what everybody did because it was the first live action movie that Kirshner had produced. He's like, but you know, to be honest, as the years go on, like I see adults with kids and movies and like, it's not like that a lot of the time, like you mm. can actually get pretty contentious. They don't have a lot of patience, Um, so it seems like at least with these two movies, like people went out of their way to make Alex feel very comfortable. Um, and I think that might transcend to like the relationship between, um, I was gonna call her Emily Valentine, Christine and, and Alex. Um, yeah, I think she's a bit of an underappreciated final girl. And I think a lot of that is like this movie, does it yes. kind of gets lost in the shuffle in the series um and you know it doesn't get the same like people talk God, i love tina from halloween five like justice for tina but she's even talked about more than than um kyle is and i don't know why that is i
3: know
0: hashtag justice for kyle
2: let's get it trending people justice for kyle, justice for kyle. i mean Who, again, i've been
3: trying to get that going come on people kyle's awesome
2: she is i mean
1: i wrote um,
3: in
2: my notes
1: that i was never sure if i like was like including her like in like the like you know true like final girl thing i guess mm-hmm. so, like my mind i always go to like final girls like the the main protagonist and like mm-hmm. you know this is still andy's movie but then they're like you know kind of sharing that yeah. and i was like so like i'm I, i'm intrigued if there's like um i want to like start a chart with like subclasses of like final Interesting. girls and like you know like Kyle the like older sibling protector gets her like own like little like subclass maybe.
0: Or if we did like a pyramid of like final girls in horror movies, you know, what layer she would be in. (laughs) Yeah. And definitely up towards the top. Um, I'm the weirdo that says uh Alice from Dream Warriors and Dream Child is the best. Um
3: I like her. Final Girl in
0: the Elm Street series. Like, I would take her over Nancy and I'll get shouted down by people. Mm. Look, Nancy dies in a silly fashion in part three. So, (laughs) you know, Mm. falls for the old disguise as your dad's ghost trick. You know? (laughs) oldest <laughs> trick in the book total rookie mistake hasn't she ever um, seen a horror movie come on yeah. um, that, that is some uh, 101
1: shit right there someone
0: posted the other day uh, a friend of the show uh taffy she posted like i want to hang out with these ladies from horror movies and it was like tatum from scream barb from um Black barb christmas. from black christmas it was like Greta gerwig's character in house of the devil and i'm like all of those characters are dead like you do not want to <laughs> it was all the it was all them. the sassy
2: best friends i think it was like make the sassy yes. best friend the final girl you mean the sassy yeah.
0: dead friends you know <laughs> the, well
2: i think that's the point you rehabilitate the sassy dead friend make yeah. them the final girl yeah is is kind of mm. i think the point there but no I, I i follow and love taffy as well she's great yeah. Love I think tappy. the point
0: is the point is don't be sassy in a horror movie.
2: Save that Whatever. for rom
1: coms. All right, save know. that for rom coms. <laughs> Kirstie Cotton gets to be pretty sassy in Hellraiser. She gets to be sassy mm. and be the final girl. Kyle's sassy.
2: Sydney Prescott gets there. She starts off I slow, imagine. but by the end, she's, she's not Tatum with the best sassy.
0: Ah. No, she's not.
2: No, no, no one is Tatum sassy. Let's Come be on. clear.
0: All but right. Sydney gets there. <laughs> You know, not my movie, bitch. I'm just saying. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. To the adults in this movie who don't get a lot to do, Mm -hmm. like, you know, unlike the first child's play, which is, you know, Karen and Officer like Mike Norris, which is again the most coppity cop name, like his name could be (laughs) police you know. (laughs) The only other name that would have been more, you know, law enforcement would be like Police McCop. Like that is my name. Bobby McCopperson.
2: Um, Yes,
0: absolutely. (laughs) But in this one you have like uh Garrett Graham playing Phil Simpson. Um I and I think you mentioned this, um I love that he's asking, like, are we kind of qualified to look after yeah. this kid? Like, this is someone that's been, you know, it's not like adopting a puppy. Uh it is like, you know, it is like <laughs> exactly. we are you know, and it makes him it does make him sound like a prick. Um and I think, like, you see just by the way, like, his house is set up uh, and, like, the things that he values, like, whoa, don't go near this vase. If you breathe on it, it might crack. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's like, hey, this doll that you said killed a lot of people and now your mom is in, like, the asylum. Like, this doll's in our house. And <laughs> it is the most – it's more important it there, than you. But
3: they forgot With it so many there. kids, it's hard to keep track. Well, but –
0: that's the kind of thing that like why wasn't that closet cleaned out before the kid came and when you know like you get like it's not like um my wife wants to foster a child one day when our um daughter goes to college in like six years to which point i just kind of laugh i'm like i don't want to No, Um, but it's not like Monty Hall and let's make a deal where you're like, all right, do you Mm -hmm. want the kid in the box or behind the door? You know, and you don't know what you're getting like you get to read up in the history, you get to meet them, you get to do all these things. And it would be like, oh, the good guy got, got traumatized you. What's well, clearly more important than your feelings? Fuck your feelings. They
3: kid. only heard about it in that first meeting and they took him home <sighs> like right away. You're not going to have enough credit. That I either. know, right?
2: <laughs> oh, well, I don't know what the foster <laughs> system was like in the 90s, but you know. <laughs>
1: I don't think so, it's I don't think it's him questioning like if they're like ready for it. I think it just bothers me that like it always comes off that like he does like that he still thinks Andy's a killer, and I'm like, bro, mm-hmm. like, it's
3: it's not Andy.
0: Yeah, but I mean, a lot of signs point to Andy. I mean,
3: yeah, no one's gonna believe know, that it was a doll, right?
0: Right. right. So he, I do like that, Michelle. What you had some points as well about Phil as well. He's a I think he makes a when he is being an asshole, he makes a great asshole. So. He's good at it.
3: Yeah. He is. I love Garrett Graham, but you don't, I think you're kind of not supposed to like him in here, but I still do. Like, I used to not like him, but when I recognized that part of him, that it was because he always seems like he doesn't want Andy around. And mm-hmm. Joanne just is the kind of one who probably falls in love with every kid that they ever foster, you know? Yeah. Because they have a, there's a line when they're talking about that statue when Andy is asking about it you know she tells him that you know uh, it has been in my family for three generations when he asks like who she's going to give it to they, yeah. they have this look that they get between the two of them where you kind of get that maybe they can't have kids or something like that you that's know right. so yeah that's a really like um, hard thing for them so um mm-hmm. it's like phil maybe doesn't want to get too attached to the kids because he knows mm-hmm. it's foster and that they're not going to be yeah. there forever So he's not trying to fall in love with them like Joanne is, you know?
2: I think that's a really good read because on first blush, it looks like this was kind of, he's doing this to kind of appease Joanne Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Like he's kind of going along with this, but I don't know. I still get the impression that he is a legitimately concerned for Andy's well-being. Like, he yeah, absolutely cares for this kid. Like, I think he's in this as much as she is, but you're right. I, th- I think that's a really interesting read. Maybe he doesn't want to get too attached. Like mm. that's, that's fascinating. I want, now mm-hmm. I want to watch this
0: movie again with that lens. <laughs> I, I get the feeling he's doing it to appease Joanne. Sure. Um, and he's not like, he's like begrudgingly doing it. Like, I think obviously he's opening up the home. um, I do wonder, it must be hard, especially like, and I think Michelle, you raised a good point, like maybe Joanne can't have children and that is why she's so hell bent on continuing to foster, even in the case of someone like Andy, where it's clearly not a good fit. Uh, Number one, because you have a murder doll in the home and that murder doll wants to steal that child's soul. That's always a problem. Every time that happens, it's always going to be a problem. I don't know why more people don't recognize that. And it's something that can't really be handled in a care plan. Um, (laughs) But you get this feeling that like it must also be somewhat kind of heartbreaking and even traumatizing to know that like you're going to take these children in for like a indefinite Mm. period of time and then eventually they're going to go elsewhere and you're doing that over and over Mm. and over again on one hand you're offering like a warm loving space to kids that really need it but on the other hand like we fostered cats before and i found it really hard to like give the cat Mm. back uh, when the time was up, like to the point where we're like, "Don't tell them we're home, so they can't come and get them." Um, but um and
3: she's like that with all the kids. Like even with Kyle, yeah. and she kind of mm-hmm. chastises her for like, you know, why haven't you packed yet? You've only you've been here for mm-hmm. three weeks. Like she yeah. wants everyone to feel like their home. Their home yeah. is the kids' home as well.
2: I mean, the first thing she asks Sandy is, "What's his favorite food in the whole world?" Because that's yeah. what we're having for dinner tonight. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And God bless Andy. His favorite food is eggs. I mean, wild. Me too.
4: Wild. Me too. I love it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, and then when she like is wailing, when she finds Phil's body and that's Mm. when she turns on Andy. Understandably, yeah. Understandably (laughs) so in that moment. Um, And we'll definitely talk more about that when we talk about like our best set pieces. And I just want to say, I do think that like Jenny Agutter doesn't get enough to do in this movie um like her death is off screen yeah uh but kind of gets like the psycho death where you turn the chair around and like there's the body mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. again another nod to hitchcock in this series yep um i love her so much i mean she obviously american werewolf in london she has a small role in dark man still working like she's in a netflix show called the midwife she's on a lot of british television i just wish she had more to do um and I think that, you know, this sweater she's wearing doesn't do her any favors. Like, totally 90s. <laughs> it's huge, mom's
3: right? Mom's <laughs> sweater. <God>. Too large.
0: <laughs> Justice for Jenny. Um, I adore her so much. I do wish that she had more to do in this movie. And... Apparently, she was not
2: fond of this working experience. She says this is one of the worst films oh, she's ever ew. been really? or at least in terms of the experience yeah, yeah I don't have any other details than that, but apparently this was not a movie that she enjoyed being a well, part that's of sad. thank mm-hmm. you,
4: which is kind of a bummer well, sorry Michelle damn, you can man, if bummer. if it helps you
2: can forget I said it
4: <laughs> okay um
2: but i I don't I you know I don't know it's probably not mm-hmm. a reputable source I read it from, so yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, again, just something I read. And I agree. She doesn't have much to do in this movie. I think she's much better than what her character is given to do. And so very often you can hear that British accent really struggling to mm-hmm. make its way out Too, you're just <laughs> like, oh,
0: oh, there. No, is it good? Mm-hmm. Is it good? No, Nope. Yes. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you hear that British accent whispering sweet? Nothing's in my ear. <laughs> Some curled against her bosom. Is the missus
2: breaking out the nurse costume tonight, Mike? Oh, let's Jesus, just ask. going to give you the reflex test. Um,
0: she's very asleep. I tried canoodling this morning, and the dog got, my dog gets jealous if anyone gives, if I give my affection to anyone besides her. Mm-hmm. So we're like having a little cuddle at like six in the morning before work, and the dog who sleeps with the sees that crawls around us. Plants herself between our faces, puts her butt on my face, and then just starts to lick me. <laughs> like, you will pet nobody but me. <laughs> She's such a cute doggy. Anyway, the only other character I made a note of here is Miss Kettlewell, uh, the teacher, yeah. played by Beth Grant, who fucking rules and the one Beth Grant. she gets the assignment. She's in everything. everything. Like if you, If you're like, where have I seen her before? Probably anything. Everything. Literally yeah. pick something. She's been in it. She, I, I believe, like, she plays Thanos in some versions of The Avengers. <laughs> um, she's, she's one of those variants, yeah. She's Dwight's babysitter slash date in the classic Office episode, The Dinner Party. The best episode of The Office. Oh, it's up there. It may. I think you're right. It is the best. Um, and. Thirty-five credits to her name, a bunch of stuff. True Trooper. Um, I got to ask: hot or not in this movie in Child's <laughs> Play Two? Hot or? I not?
1: mean, I'll say hot. She dies by spanking, sure. by no. ruler spanking. What's what's hotter than that? I have questions
0: so, on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I have questions. That's where you have to
3: suspend a lot of disbelief. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going hot. I'm going saying hot. hot. Something about having like that. Kind of flared collar, buttoned all the way up. I could just see her.
3: You want her to? It d- just does too? it for me. Just does her to it for me.
0: You absolutely love her <laughs> in this movie. Gets the assignment. Love the bitchy old school teacher who just hates children. Like you yeah. know, she's done that. She she's like three more years since I get my full pension. I hate these kids. <laughs> yep. I hate all of them. And
2: I don't I care just, if you're new, you're, you know, your your job is to impress me. Like I was mm-hmm. just like the I'm going to
3: literally lock you in a room, which I don't think that's right. right. I don't think that's a thing no. you can do <laughs> at all with kids.
2: Again, it was it you was know. it was the late
3: <laughs> 80s, early <laughs> 90s. Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: sure things yeah. were much more permissive on some level back then, but I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Back then nobody would blink and hide now and he crawls out hmm. the window at the end. Again, leaving another dead body in his wake. Once again, <laughs> Andy Barclay. It was either him or them. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, touche. So apparently, Beth Grant was like iffy on doing this movie. She's like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I want to do a horror movie. So she calls up her friend Dinah Manoff and is like, Hey, um, so they're doing a sequel to Child's Play. They want me in it. And Dinah's like, Well, you see, if you watch Child's Play, you'll see that I'm in it. And she goes, oh, okay, well, then I'll do the movie. I'm in. <laughs> she I'm didn't so know she was in it? In <laughs> oh Apparently God. not. Well, I mean, it's, you know, actors. They, they're they just constantly right. doing work. They don't talk to each other about everything, you know? Right. It's a job.
0: Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I love when you see, like, a convention and a, and a fan asks a – character actor like hey you know 30 years ago blah 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 blah. what was your motivation he's like i don't know man like it was 30 years ago it was a day's job yeah (laughs) you know i just wanted to keep the lights on at home what do you want from me (laughs) so my motivation for
1: that one was my car
0: note. that's what it was absolutely (laughs) all right uh overall before we get hold on are we not going
2: to talk about grace zabriskie at all oh let's do it because uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mrs. Palmer, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I just I don't know I think she's great in whether it's Seinfeld or Twin Peaks or whatever she does. I just I think she's absolutely fantastic. I'm always glad to see her on screen, and I I think she mm-hmm. she avails herself pretty well here for yeah. what is honestly a pretty thankless role. I think she she plays it pretty well.
0: Yeah, I best know her from Big Love, where she plays uh, Bill Paxson's mom, mm-hmm. who lives oh, on right. the. Yeah, who lives with like I'm the woman, sure the uh yeah. Yeah, pretty small role, pretty quiet role, great death.
2: Oh my uh, gosh, um, yes. Yeah.
0: You know.
2: the, the it's the photocopy. It's the photocopies that keep yes. coming out mm-hmm. like in a the progression cow. of poses that there is no way that mm-hmm. photocopier <laughs> could have could have caught. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder if people in the late eighties, early nineties knew how photocopiers actually worked or if they just didn't care. Yeah, I it don't looks think they
3: cool cared. on screen. It it's does. the same question okay. I
2: have for like the West Craven, Kevin Williamson. Did they understand how garage doors work? <laughs> like, did people in the eighties, nineties
0: understand how, uh, how photocopiers worked? And you know what? It just makes
2: for a pretty cool scene regardless.
0: So I, who cares? To be honest, I still don't really know how photocopiers work <laughs> to be Honestly, I Magic still elves, struggle. Mike. Magic elves. Use. I still struggle. I don't know how thermostats work. Um, <laughs> I struggle setting the heat in the home. Technology so, just boggles your mind, doesn't it? it like, I spent like, years, years designing home theater systems and smart homes, but photocopiers <laughs> and smart thermostats, uh-huh. like how to set the heat, like it, it just – if i need to design a fancy lighting system i can i it, i can do that i can program a remote control that like when you wait for your movie to start will scroll movie posters across your touch screen while playing like always look at the bright side of life like i've done that okay setting a thermostat <laughs> okay. or making photocopies i, I mean I, we're, I we're good on you the oven right like we, we i know how it. ovens work
4: <laughs> <laughs> i know how microwaves, microwaves work <laughs> okay. okay yeah, yeah no, all right then we're all right then <laughs> <laughs> um, all
0: right what are our overall general thoughts any general thoughts on this movie before we kind of get into the specifics of it. Like, I just wanted to say, like, I think Tom Holland's movie looks better. I think there's a more Hitchcockian flair to it. Like I think of the elevator scene and the way the building is shot. I think like having the bulk of it take place on location in Chicago rather than a back lot mm-hmm. studio works. But I think the action is way bigger here. And I think that's what helps this movie Kevin Yeager being back helps. And Mm -hmm. by this point, like all of the kinks have been worked out on Chucky. So you get like, again, more of a performance. Uh, Durif records all of his dialogue ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So now you can sync things better. And that humor. Yeah. Overall. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And again, my controversial opinion from the first movie, I think that Chucky as a technological achievement is a bigger achievement than Bruce the shark from Jaws.
3: No, he really is. Well,
0: yeah, he's asked to do way more. So on great. that oh, yeah. um,
3: Scream Factory release of the first Child's Play, there is, um, and I think it's like an hour long of just like behind the scenes footage of them like working with the doll and all the little mechanics to it. It is, it was so fascinating to watch that. Yeah, it's so cool. Or like for a hallway scene where the doll is like on the platform and there's literally like eight guys making it work. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And it still looks so good.
0: It's real. I mean, it is like a physical doll that you're interacting with. The actors mm-hmm. are interacting with it. Like it's on, um, you know, it's on Kyle's back, you know, it is hovering over Andy. Like you're not, have someone in mocap with tennis balls or right. someone holding mm-hmm. like a broomstick saying react to this. Like yeah. it'll fix it in post. And I think that is just wonderful. I, I am going to stick up for the cinematography on this one because that
2: I, it is clearly very inspired by like German expressionism. Mm-hmm. Like, you get so much deep focus to the point where you're just like, why is this shot in deep focus? It's absolutely demented, and I absolutely adore it. Like, shots that don't need, there's no reason for there to be a close up introduction of the teacher where she's in the foreground and then everything else is clearly in deep focus in the background. And then you start moving the camera, and I'm just like, why? Why is this happening? But I absolutely love it. And the fact that, yeah. Half the scenes in the movie start that way. Again, <laughs> it's fucking demented, but it's there's a it's, lot of crazy angles brilliant. and
3: stuff. Yeah. Yes.
2: Oh, the the canted angles, like when when, mm-hmm. when um, oh, what's her um, when Mrs. Poole is picking up uh Andy from from the house with Kyle. Like, there's this shot, like from down below, where you mm-hmm. see, like shut straight up. It's straight out of like Doctor mm-hmm. Caligari or something with like uh-huh. the 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 angle and the the straight lines the symmetry of the whole thing and i'm just i'm like my jaw's on the floor going <laughs> how did they get away with this this is insane mm-hmm. like i just love like it's it's so dynamic and interesting like it's not it, it it you know for for all the good that hitchcock does and i do i love hitchcock but like I don't know. It's that German expressionist thing for me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, it's the bizarre choices that you're making, the, the deep focus, the, the movement, the, all of it just works together. And like I said, it's demented and I, I love it. I adore it. Like I would watch this movie like 20 times over something Mm. as, I don't know, as straightforward as like the first movie, I guess. That's Mm -hmm my take I mean, anyway for what it is. I didn't uh, find
0: the first movie straightforward though. I found like they were doing some like really interesting brilliant. shots and yeah, just like the way that they're able to kind of like hide Chucky in the background a bit. Or when you have like the little persons like running, mm. you know, in mm-hmm. the background, like in it kind of blank and you miss it type of moments. So it's a different style. You've
2: seen um, it more recently than I have too. So
0: mm-hmm. I'll, I'll plead a little ignorance on my part, yeah.
2: but I don't know just the, the demented cartoony dynamism yeah. of this yeah. thing. I just, yeah. The first there's...
3: one is more about suspense and building yeah. the suspense and keeping the suspense. And in this one, they don't really have to worry about that because they don't know hide that it. it's Chucky, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, they're definitely having a, uh, John Mafia is definitely s- having a lot more fun with yeah. this. It, yeah.
1: it depends on what you're in the mood for, you know, because this yeah. one is That's like, this is the one that has like the more energy to it. You mm-hmm. know, like it, I think it matches what Holland did in the first one, like pretty well as far as like keeping the same tone and look to it. But like, again, it was like, yeah, a little bit more energy to it because we have like more movement of Chucky and like these bigger set pieces. And uh, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of depending on like mm-hmm. what, what you're in the mood for, if you want like the kind of, Uh, like you said, like the more creepier elements of the first Mm -hmm. one or the more, the more, um, you know, visually fun ones in this one. I like, and I like that this one also like continues a lot of some of the same things from the first one that would kind of be like visual gags throughout the series, like, um, whether it be, like, Chucky dangling from somebody's back because, like, he can't quite strangle people anymore. <laughs> and, like, the 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 image of his, like, feet kicking while, like, that. hanging from someone's it's back. so perfect. Always, it always makes me
0: laugh. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And Chucky emerging from the school closet and the way it's shot kind of, like, from the ground level. Mm-hmm. It's, like, he is uh-huh. this tiny thing, but he is, like absolutely menacing and looms large in that moment is like Mm -hmm. really really well done like Mm -hmm. shots like that are above and beyond and the way he moves it's almost like the end of the terminator when uh good call when when uh schwarzenegger's been like stripped of all the you know human skin and you just have like that stan winston style Mm -hmm. almost stop motion like there's almost this kind Mm -hmm. of um lumbering to him in that moment which is really really great Mm. um in terms of like the set pieces like the best moments in the movie start at the beginning i love the way they rebuild chucky in this movie during the opening credits i guess you those credits play out you get it's there's something really unnerving about it it's all you have this like you're anthropomorphizing this doll and watching it get like its teeth scraped, watching the way that you're scraping all Mm -hmm. the gunk out of it and then sanding it down and slowly making it look more like it should. Mm -hmm. It's really great body horror, Mm -hmm. but it's not a real body, but your mind plays tricks in you. And the moment Mm -hmm. that really freaked me out is before they put the Chucky face back on, you have the empty eye sockets, the pl- like, kind of like silver plastic head and the teeth and the teeth are what get me. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And that's where just, you get Brad Dourif's credit too, like, yeah. and feet and Brad Dourif as Chucky. Yeah. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so good. I'm a, I'm a sucker for
1: uh, for an intro credit where mm-hmm. something is being rebuilt, like um, mm-hmm. or cool. just like anything like that. Like you know, Freddy's glove, like as he's like putting that together. Love that in an opening sequence. Or um, I love the Coraline opening credits as well, as she like puts mm-hmm. the
2: sand puppet back together. Kind of similar shades to uh, in this one. Yeah, that that opening sequence is it's fantastic. I I, I lament the death of the opening credit sequence because. We just don't see those in movies anymore. And they really kind of help you just like settle in and get a feel for what it is you're watching. And honestly, if done well, like they are in this movie, those opening credits can tell a story Mm -hmm. and they absolutely do. Like you literally see the villain of the piece coming back to life, resurrecting Mm -hmm. right in front of you. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's simultaneously horrifying and fun, which is, I think the thing that this franchise consistently gets right. It, it, marries those two elements the 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 fun the goofiness and just the the terrifying and the horrifying Mm -hmm. um and it's all again done so well just in this one opening sequence and not for nothing either too
3: i've always been a fan of the uh the third one's opening credits sequence do you remember that one where it's just um they take the the body that oh yes yeah, the oh blood my gosh gets that poured one's good into too. the vat of melted plastic and it's just like the melted plastic like flying through the air and it's kind of working backwards to to rebuild chucky's mm-hmm. head and then it he opens his mouth and like yells at the, at that the one is pretty cool someday. yeah <laughs> it's so good i love it but i love this one too this is really cool even though um the they didn't really take a whole lot of time to think about how chucky was coming back in this one because it just like a it's just a frankenstein type of thing and then mm-hmm. whatever electricity brings mm-hmm. him back okay <laughs> sure Have it, to accept that it, it doesn't
0: really work i think that's me. okay i don't know I, I don't know i think that's okay i think we, we're in an era now where everything has to be like there needs to be complete logic behind it and but at the end of is- the day i'm like
3: but there is like an explanation they have to do the voodoo thing to get a, mm-hmm. it has to be his soul in in this body you can't just have a random electrical current <laughs> bring him back. I mean, out. I, well that's am what am I...
2: reanimates the
4: soul.
1: Yeah. I, my theory has been like they're the only way that they'll ever be able to like defeat Chucky. You can play is like you have to like destroy every like single little piece mm-hmm, of them, mm-hmm. and I just don't know how they'll like. Nobody's just managed to do
0: that. There's always at least like a piece, and like you need a biodegradable good guy doll. Yeah, I think you need a biodegradable good guy doll. You need a environmentally friendly. I. That's I not how they made them in the 80s, though, Mike. That's I'm sorry. Definitely to say. not. Those things are still kicking around. Yeah, man. they are. Um, w- along with Twinkies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I get <laughs> Twinkie packs from the 80s that are still good to go. Um, I think like the first nine minutes of this movie is a if there's a real like, a economy in the storytelling. Like one thing that's great about these movies is like they They're like all under 90 minutes and they they just move. Mm -hmm. So in the first nine minutes, you have like your walk and talk with a head of good guys and his assistant and you immediately you learn the fate right away of like, all right, you know, like our company's in trouble because of this. Andy's in foster care. Mom's in an asylum. Go. And then you have like the rebuilding of Chucky. You have him reanimated. You get your first death in the movie as well in a really fun and hilarious way. You see that Chucky is like back up and running and Andy is um is adopted. He's in the car on the way home and on the way home, they almost get run off the road by a good guy gall- doll truck and you see Andy's reaction to it. So 10 minutes into the movie, like everything is all set up for you. Like it does not yep. waste any time. And that is something that I do really appreciate about this movie is that like it's an economy of storytelling that I think we can still kind of learn from.
2: Yeah. I, and I don't know, you look at the runtime of this thing and I don't know, 90 minutes is a perfect runtime for a movie. You ask me, this Mm -hmm. is like six minutes under, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is absolutely wonderful. And the fact that yeah. And the fact that you can get, (laughs) A, a story this enjoyable out of something mm-hmm. that because again an 80, 84 minute movie in this day and age what's what's even the point if people are going to go see a movie they need to sit there for three hours they need to right. you know have to hold in their urine for two hours while they while they sit there and, <laughs> and chew popcorn to try to absorb as much of the moisture in their body as they possibly can
0: like no, nothing makes me angrier than a ninety six minute long or ninety three minute long movie nothing makes me angrier than a movie that comes in at 93 minutes. Like you couldn't have trimmed three minutes out of this. Dude you were right up. there, man, you right know, there. I want 90 minutes or less, or I want like Irishman style epics. That's all I, I go big or go home. I mean, go big. You know, it's, I also enjoy Irishman style epics. Those are great. Yeah. No, no mid range. You're all about no. the layups and the three pointers. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. If if you give me a movie that's like an hour and forty eight minutes long, I hope something bad happens to your children. <laughs> really,
3: that's a take. Okay, <laughs> I really,
0: yeah, that that is that is yeah. a take. I mean, not I don't wish death on them, but you know, I hope like they miss a free throw that costs them the championship game, okay. or like their pants fall down at school and everyone makes fun of them. You know. Nothing super bad. They're just they could recover Mike.
4: from it. <laughs> but an hour and forty-eight.
0: They're never just oh movies. God, Michelle. Michelle, your podcast is called "Movies for Life," so yes. they're not just movies. Come on. Yeah. I will be to be really honest. As someone who works around children a lot. I kind of often hope bad things happen to children because they're monsters. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs>
3: wow. Um, just... Well, yeah, but in terms of the, the economy of the storytelling too, like how much have we already talked about and been able to um, dig into about the characters in you know such a short movie? Like they for so many different characters too. Like they it doesn't take much for them to. Uh, to get the point across like who these people are and why you should like them or dislike them or whatever. Like it's, it's just perfect. It gets in, it gets a job done and it gets out. That's why I I love movies like this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah. And again, the fact that you have, you can have something that is so fun, so engaging, but also like there's, there's some artistry to it. There's, there's a point, there's something that you're trying to say, like it's all really kind of fantastic and kind of a miracle in that way that all movies are, kind of miracles and mm-hmm. it reminds me why you love movies man it's great yep.
0: not hour and 48 minute long movies clearly <laughs> not movies. no clearly not um, i say i think my my favorite small scene in the movie is chucky finding the tommy doll yeah. and <laughs> mm-hmm. just beating it to death and then <laughs> burying it in the backyard Eat like it tells dirt, you everything Tommy. you need to know about <laughs> this movie. Cause that's cause he's literally doing that for his own amusement. That's my yes. favorite.
4: Like
1: nobody Chucky likes to only make himself laugh. He doesn't care yeah. if anybody else thinks he's funny. As long as he's laughing at his jokes, mm-hmm. he's chilling. And he literally does that just like laugh
2: at himself. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite moment, the moment I probably laugh the hardest at is when um after right after Chucky is replaced, so right after this scene when Chucky's replaced Tommy, and he, he goes, hi, I'm and looks away and then looks back, <laughs> yeah. Tommy! Husky. I That tiny doing? moment where he like <laughs> looks away and says, Tommy, like he has to think about <laughs> it for a second, kills me Andy every time.
3: Oh. <laughs> every oh, yeah, time.
2: I, oh, I fucking lose it. It's so good. Oh, I like the scene
3: um <laughs> with him and Kyle in the car, and he's just yes. like fucking over it at that point when the cop asks him what's your mm-hmm. name. He just goes, Chucky, Chucky. <laughs> he's just like done. Yeah. He's like, over it. Go we away. We, got the we got This we got one bleeds. Made. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I love it. That is and I love that the Chucky... behind me yeah. right
3: here.
0: <laughs> I, and I just love that, like he's holding her
3: hostage.
0: Like she can't get away from him. Like he's got his little knife. And to me, it's just watching her Chucky hold someone hostage yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. when she's holding him like on her hip at the orphanage or at the foster place he's got the little knife pressed to her back like that to me is hysterical
3: <laughs> but the look on her face is so heartbreaking she's because she's kind of like a little bit traumatized at that point too because she's like i can't what am i gonna do for this guy i gotta save this kid and myself and everybody else uh yeah that she kind of kills and me that's that the part. thing i
2: love about chucky though is he's like this tiny ball of rage but in the end he's only so effective like there's yeah, only mm-hmm. so much a tiny doll like that can do and yet he still manages to be like a menace like i don't know i i like chucky in the same way that i like the gremlins like he's just this yeah. little like chaotic force and you're just like you're adorable but i kind of want to see what you're gonna do next man because mm-hmm. you're awful <laughs> like you're so just small, small enough to lay yeah, just small
1: enough to, like, be beatable, but mm-hmm. at the same time to, like, still give, like, you know, the protagonist enough issues as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: Uh, one of my favorite, I... one of my least favorite, sorry, um, like, criticisms that people have about Chucky is, like, oh, he's just so small. Just, like, kick him. Like, he's, it's more than that. Like, he he can run and scurry and he's can hide and it's just, it's also just the... Um, the, the surprise of like it's a doll like mm-hmm. it's, it's so unpredictable you know it's not something that you're used to seeing so yeah it's gonna he's he's able to catch you off guard that way so he is right. very much a menaceous. like it's not something i always ask i want to know like people who say that it's like okay well, are you afraid of spiders snakes <laughs> just stomp on spiders you know that right. if they're right. it's tricky it's so easy you know just to kick <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean that that's honestly legitimately one of my favorite things about him is, is his size because there's mm-hmm. this internal conflict within him as well. Like I don't want to be this size. I don't want to be this thing. But at the same token, I'm going to use this exactly to my yeah. advantage. I'm going to mm-hmm. do everything oh, yeah. I can to do exactly what I need to do and kill as many of you motherfuckers as I can.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite things about any of the Child's Play movies, it's when – the adults are like, oh, God, this little kid was right. You know, when they get yeah. that look of horror <laughs> on their face, like it's not only like this doll's come to life with like, oh, man, this like six year old was right. Like you see it with Phil in this movie. You Grace. see it with like the school mom. Yeah, you see it with, with Grace. Grace. And then in the third movie, I think you get the best version of it when like the uh, head of the military school like literally literally just has a heart attack and (laughs) dies, which is the appropriate reaction Um, you're expecting this really great chucky kill Mm -hmm. and then he just Mm -hmm. and dies and yep great so good i and this is a a series that like the kills themselves are never like that amazing do you know what i mean but like Mm -hmm. they're almost besides the point like i don't care because like it's so much fun to watch chucky in action like Mm -hmm. the best kill in this movie is probably the at the the very last one where you get like the eyeballs through the dude's head and you just get that ridiculous cartoon look Uh um Mm -hmm. like i still i'm trying to figure out the logistics of death by ruler smacks um Uh, i know i
2: don't don't let your mind wander mike i'm sure you'll get there (laughs) yeah
3: That's another thing you have to think about, Chuckie. Like, and we're back. is yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> what is the ratio of like human strength to doll body? You know, like I always Absol- I'm not that's really something sure I've always wondered.
2: I've never figured and out how I that Don't works. ever want an answer. Yeah, I never want an yeah. answer to that question. I just want to that let that be one of the things I need to suspend my disbelief for every time. Yeah. Yep.
0: It's so. one of those things, it's the old, the, the age old question like, how many kindergartners could you beat up if you had to like beat up a gym full of kindergartners? Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's because a certain point you would just get overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> right. You know, because, Mike you know, and they t- can be. <laughs> I really. I was going to say, I this believe, Child's Play
2: 2 is more mean spirited. And honestly, so is Mike in this episode. Wow. It <laughs> Look, it's been a week. Well, it don't has worry. Been, michael really like three because we definitely
1: start killing some kids that's so. true <laughs> yeah
0: it's, it's finally it's week, the folks.
1: kids get to die finally. <laughs>
0: finally, finally, finally kids die that'll be the tagline of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, kids die. And, and the next variant in like the next variant we have oh. um so oh god i just lost track of thought um <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about those sweet sweet kid deaths um
4: <laughs> all right
0: i know. last i want to say is like so number one like this this foster care system i do question like if you can randomly call up and say yeah i'm so and so's right. uncle where are they at like right that's not good you should no. not be in charge of children um, just give no. a
3: child's address like that no
0: no a that's bad awful. very very bad call um i want to say too i think that the basement scene in this movie where phil mm-hmm. dies but everything leading up is genuinely creepy in mm, the movie it's where the movie takes a pretty hard right turn like i did not expect the foster parents to be killed so kind of really unceremoniously
4: yeah like really? at the
0: midpoint of the movie but i think it does mm-hmm. such a good job of like showing like basements are scary to children like they are
3: creepy mm-hmm. as fuck props and I think to think one of the things yeah we're going after him in the first place like this oh yeah
0: Mm -hmm. but props to lafayette for showing like the perspective from like andy and making you in his shoes and feeling creeped out
4: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah
2: yeah i I, and i honestly i think it's probably one of the creepier moments in the movie maybe one of the creepier moments Mm -hmm. in the franchise is just andy and chucky like the little cat and mouse thing that they have going on in that basement Mm -hmm. it's it's really effective and really well done
4: yeah.
1: I, I think it's like the timing of it too, because mm. like up to this point, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's child's play too. We're having fun. Like, this is fun, right? And then, like, boom, you like kind of get this mm-hmm. thing that like reminds you, like, oh, no, like there's still stuff to be like scared of mm-hmm. in this movie, you yeah. know?
3: You know what I like about Definitely. what both Andy and Kyle do in their respective um, like going after him scenes is that mm-hmm. they don't go for like the obvious weapon. <laughs> like they they just grab a knife out of the Mm-hmm. knife block or whatever he gets like the electric bread knife and kyle the has to go <laughs> or whatever that yeah and kyle has to go into the, the tackle box in the closet and get out this really super cool knife that's got the
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, sheath on it or whatever <laughs> i always wondered yeah. about that like why did you go to all that trouble just to get a knife like aren't there just ones sitting there in the in the kitchen
2: <laughs> not ones that look that cool though michelle and that's and exactly nope. that's what you, i'm
3: saying like she's one of the cool why ones, kill so someone when you cold.
0: can kill someone with style
3: she deserves the cool one, definitely. Excellent.
0: Um, the other thing about the foster care scene is that when I thought about re-watching it, it's like there are a lot of witnesses that saw Kyle show up and Andy not leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they are at the end of this movie when they walk out, and we'll kind of skip back to when they walk out of the factory and they're like where is home like i don't know it's like these two are now on the lamb like they are bill that's bixby true. and the incredible hulk you know that music is gonna sad piano is gonna follow them everywhere because like there are like 40 cute orphans that are like she is they it saw, she's the one emily Kyle, valentine yeah. <laughs> they she know Grace. you know Damon. She, that's yes. right yeah yeah and if they looked behind, they would see like she had a knife. You know, what I mean, like she had a knife. off. one kid looked behind, um, so yeah, man, these kids are. And, and the cop also would have like pulled her over. There's probably a record. Like she's fucked at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. They All
3: don't right. really Last deal with that thing. though.
0: So they really don't. It's you know, yeah, you it. it's That's
3: right.
0: realism in horror movies. Will we ever get it? Damn it. Don't anyway. Correct. Michelle, you had put down how the third act is one of your favorite set set pieces ever. So take it away. Tell how, us what you love about. I mean, how
3: fucking cool does it look? I mean, for one thing, it's it's Very great cool. for the Extremely. for the series, um, just showing. Uh, I don't know, like where they are. The the first part of this starts out. Um, in the part of the factory with all those good guy dolls around like, there was like way too many to be in the factory that's just, it just looks cool i think they did that um but the, when they're running around the maze and it's so it's so much different than um a final act set piece for a horror movie because it's bright indoors yeah bright light you know there's it's not it's not like shadowy and stormy like there is a scene like that earlier but for the final act it's in mm-hmm not broad daylight, but in bright light in this factory. And it's so cool. And there's like all these different, uh, all this equipment that can kill you, you know, and all these different little places they can go. And they just really make excellent use of everything in that factory. I love it the pure
2: body horror of just the thing that fuses the limbs all over the dolls Mm -hmm. like the the fact why is there an option
3: for it to be reversed and do that that's a horrifying
2: (laughs) ripping his arm off and then shoving the knife into the bloody stump like i've been watching a lot of cronenberg lately because i'm trying to do a cronenberg rewatch and i would Mm -hmm. i would put the last act of child's play 2 up against maybe half of the stuff i've seen in cronenberg thus far mm-hmm. like there's sure a good body horror. When yeah. it's pretty gnarly that, yeah
3: there's like real expression and emotion mm-hmm. on the doll's face when he's about to do that he's like oh fuck this is gonna hurt you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's really well done i love that and
0: he's just like i hate kids like
3: after no, he I, has yeah. to do
2: it yeah yep. channeling his my inner mike yeah. snooney in that moment inner Mike, yes and by this <laughs> um, this point
3: in the movie chucky is not about um getting andy's soul anymore like he's realized at the beginning of this scene that it's too late and that he's trapped in the body so now mm-hmm. he's just fucking pissed off for the rest of yeah. the movie and trying to kill them it's revenge yeah it's mm-hmm. just pure revenge and pure anger for this little guy yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the movie
1: i mean Goodbye, I, I what are your thoughts yeah, I, I just really like that, you know, they use the the space so well, like, I mean, we get mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a callback from the opening, you know, credits too. like the opening credits weren't for, you know, no reason. They like do that to like kind of already give you an idea of like what's to come and like, you know, a lot of other movies like set in a finale like this with. With a factory, it'd be in, like, an empty warehouse, you know? It's like, no, this is, like, with fully functioning machines. We have multiple things, mm-hmm. multiple stages. It's, like, kind of like this, like, high-stakes, uh, dangerous obstacle course. And they literally just use every single inch of this, like, yep. factory. And then, like, the primary colors just, like, blasted and being surrounded by Chucky and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just...
0: It, it, it works on so many levels. Really does. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I just, like, little it seems to be like little nods to other horror movies. Like when you see there is something disturbing about seeing the stacks of good guy dolls lined up in a little maze. And it just like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the hedge maze from the shining with the two of Mm -hmm, them mm kind of running through it. And then when Chucky emerges from the, uh, assembly machine and he's all melty and parts are sticking out I mean I see that and I'm like this is John Carpenter's the thing mm. and oh, yeah. it makes me want to see that movie like reassembled using dolls um, mm-hmm. so just little <laughs> you know what might be subtle nods or not even you know homage you know homages but just in the back of your mind you're like what would look cool um, mm-hmm. that like make me think of other horror movies right away um I really love that part of it right there. And to me, like when Chucky's head starts to expand after <laughs> getting the air hose shoved in it, he looks yeah. like a garbage pail kid. It's, does. it's uh, straight out of Looney Tunes. It's that is like an yeah. Elmer Fudd
2: porky pig ending kind of a thing. It's so good. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's and I like
1: it. I like in this one too, that like Andy actually gets to like finish Chucky off this time. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first one it's, um, cop McC- detective mcmahon yeah. and um, Mc,
0: Mc law man
1: <laughs> yeah and um but in this one it's like you know first kyle like kind of saves andy for a minute we get like the first fake out and like we get like you know three different fake outs of like is mm-hmm. chucky actually done or not but like you know for this one finally you know andy gets to be the one that like you know pulls mm-hmm. the the melty on him and yep. like you know and like finishes them off for yep. good and gets to save kyle too yeah. so it's like Andy gets that redemptive moment like for himself too after mm-hmm. like everything he's just went
0: through which yeah. is really nice. I agree. Right. And Chucky's like, "Andy, I was just fooling around and and <laughs> and Kyle just flips him the bird like it's wonderful. It's great." <laughs> I will say that that
2: maze of good guy dolls feels like an OSHA violation to me. I don't know how mm-hmm. or why oh, but yeah. it just right? that, that that doesn't feel safe.
3: How could you even get a Agreed. pellet jack around in there? I mean, come on, that doesn't exactly <laughs> exactly
2: my point. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, it's the eighties. Safety violations, Build in dead you ends know? throughout. You know,
0: there's not a straight line through. There's no order to the <laughs> <Right>? things. <laughs> I was, no I was just happy to see you know high, you know high quality dolls, high quality toys handcrafted built here in america with american jobs you know you know like if this movie were to
4: fast forward this
0: movie to 2022 like the last act would have to take place in like china you know they would have to somehow like we have to do this in the factory all right they somehow get stuck on a freighter boat and uh they wake up in the good guy factory and China and that's where the dolls are made. Well that's where yeah. the that's where the remake begins, right? That's true. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> so you know, just it's just good to see the American ingenuity put to good use. <laughs> there you so, go. Fair enough. So Oh. Yes. My God. Do we have anything else, folks, Um, on that? Do we really do do we end on that act of patriotism or what else are we missing? What else do we want to talk? about? I did want to talk
2: a little bit about the Miss Kettlewell death scene just because I think it's it's that thing I think that has been done to death in Mm -hmm. like the later 90s of the delayed jump scare. Mm -hmm. Where is this it? No, is this it? No, is this? No, because it's not that like you because the music does swell and it builds Mm -hmm. and it stops. And then it's a fake out and then it does it again, but it's not done in such a way where it feels like, ah, gotcha. It feels mm-hmm. like, no, it's still coming. Like you're still on the edge of your seat. Like we it's not, there's there. no,
4: you don't, nope. mm-hmm. you
2: can't let up at any point. Like it, and it doesn't let up at any point. It just keeps ramping the tension. So when it finally, when he finally does jump out, it's like a legitimate scare. It's a legitimate moment, which I think the the constant fake outs of jump scares I think has kind of destroyed the the jump scare in a lot of ways um but i think this movie pulls it off really really brilliantly yeah.
3: and the fact that there's a, a uh, weapon that he can actually use in there just like a little <laughs> pump that you use to put air in mm-hmm. uh, balls and stuff that's pretty it's pretty good that is pretty uh, awesome pretty ingenious
1: i mean I, I i like that this movie does show off uh chucky's um Ingen- uh, ingenuity as well Like he's you know he takes with He works with what he's got you know he is small He knows he has limited skills So he uses the things around him Because you know he is an established killer Even before being a so like mm-hmm. you know He knows his shit mm-hmm. so um, I like that in this movie um, you know We learn that Chucky uh, As much as he talks you know He definitely um, puts in the work You know he blood mm-hmm. sweat and tears He will put yeah. a knife in his hand He will still inch towards you with no legs on, like, a little wagon thing. Like, (laughs) he's about putting in that work. So I appreciate that about Chucky.
2: Yeah.
3: He uses strangulation, um, pushing, pumping down a stair. Kind of weird. Breaks his neck as he falls down the stairs thing. Uh, Whatever he does to
1: Joanne. Yeah,
3: electrocutions. um, Whatever he does to Joanne, I think he, like, cuts her throat or something. Slashes her throat, yeah.
2: Yeah he, ju- he just takes pride in his work bag. he does what he does and i don't does know how
3: well. he got in the factory i'm not really sure how he strung up that guy to be swinging after he got the, the eyes the fake eyes put into his mm-hmm. head I'm not sure how he Either way that. it's We're pretty cool suspend, i mean he's he's obviously got some strength to lift somebody up yeah yep. he's he can he can do anything
2: <laughs> excellent a
0: renaissance puppet what can i say he really is <laughs> there you go. he's a chuck of all trades all right i think we're good i think we've hit child's play too so let's let's being, ha- let's not
2: end it on the patriotism let's end it on that terrible pun
0: I, I feel like for this. Much. i feel I like not, a stanza leaving on a high note right now i feel <laughs> like i feel like that all right Michelle, thank you for joining us. And thank you know, you. if our listeners want to hear more of you, where can they find you right now? What do you have to plug?
3: Um, you can first of all you can find me um on Twitter. I'm at Michelle In Egan, and you can hear mm-hmm. a lot more of me on the Movies for Life podcast that I do with my friend Brian Kuyper. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for the. What do you have? Air fist bump. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Michelle, what do you have coming up on Movies for Life? And for our listeners, can you describe a little bit about what that show is?
3: uh movies for life and no is a
0: perfectly fine response
3: no i will absolutely not do that just moving moving right along no um it's a show that i do with my best friend brian kuiper and the kind of the thing that we wanted to talk about the most was just the movies that we love and we kind of pick a basic general topic and then each one of us will pick our favorites from that topic and we get a lot of really cool pairings out of that and some really great discussions, I think, that we've had. Uh, the one we've got coming up next, we're doing one called uh, Partners in Crime, where we talked about uh, Gun Crazy and Dog Day Afternoon. So that is a very fun episode. <laughs> Love it. So check us out. We're pretty awesome. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Thank you for joining us. And I think we're going to have you back on again for one of the later entries in the series as well. well. Yeah. And you're Always welcome on. We'll see. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to come <laughs> on. Right, Hadn't en- had enough I of your our schedules
3: Mike. and everything work out. Yeah. Uh,
0: but I, I would understand. love to. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Stephen, what is coming up on the Disenfranchised podcast?
2: Yeah. So, Disenfranchised, a podcast I do with my uh, good buddy Brett Wright. We talk about movies that uh, were intended as franchises, but never uh, quite got that far, uh, never got past the first movie. Uh, So as the day we're recording this, our Stargate episode just dropped in honor of the new Roland Emmerich film Moonfall, uh, which is our second Kurt Russell movie in a row. We talked last week about Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, So we've got uh, we did an unintended Kurt Russell double feature, uh, which was a lot of fun. One of my buddies from college joined us for that discussion on Big Trouble, and it was was a great time. Uh, But. Our next episode the next episode we have scheduled and I don't know Michael we will have to check with you to see if we can schedule mm-hmm. the record on this one soon uh is going to be the Valentine's Day episode where we were planning on talking about My Bloody Valentine 3D from
0: 2009. Uh and- give me the date you need me on and uh I'm ready I can just rewatch it and love it. Well be let's talk about go. it after we wrap today cuz we definitely
2: we definitely need you back on man. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the original with you last Valentine's we talked about the 2009 friday the 13th remake last year uh and so we're we're ready to do another 2009 mass killer remake for with you here we go
0: (laughs) happy to do it devon what is going on with the bloody blunts cinema club and what are we look we look forward to
1: Yeah, the uh, Blade Blunt Cinema Club, um, we alternate back and forth. One month we'll kind of go through a specific subgenre, and then one month we'll kind of go through a franchise. So we just uh, wrapped up the Scream franchise, including the new one, which was a lot of fun. And uh, now for February, we are doing uh, Black Horror Cinema, so um, films either led and or directed by Black artists. So um, we have some fun episodes and guests coming up for that. So you can find us at Bloody Blunts Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can find me at underscore daddy disco on Twitter and
0: Instagram. I also make music and direct music videos sometimes. Excellent.
3: Awesome.
0: Excellent. Well, nice. folks, as you know, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. And you can find my other podcast, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, shows from Uh, February this month, we're doing dementia. So we're doing the um, taking of Deborah Logan with that episode is up. And our follow up episode will be on the 2020 movie Relic, where we look at You know, uh, dementia and what it does to both persons who suffer from it as well as the caregivers that uh, have to take care of their family members and the effects it has on them. Uh, And we have some really fun comfort horror movies lined up, including we just uh, recorded with Katie Reif of the AV Club. Um, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of our comfort horror episodes. And that's a movie that, you know, I. Oh, God, I fucking love that movie so much. So, um, that was a really fun one to record. Um, so, find us everywhere you get your shows. For this show, please visit our new website, podandthependulum.com. Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leaving a five star review and even just a few sentences about what you like about the show uh, helps us find new listeners. Uh, and it kind of helps us know that we're on the right track as well it's nice to see those reviews come in and, and hear back you can also find us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum uh, I love interacting with our listeners and appreciate any and all positive feedback uh, we thank you so much for listening we hope you're digging our deep dives into the child Play franchise we will be back soon with Child's Play 3 and then we will do what I promise you will be the horniest episode <laughs> of this show ever. I don't know if I'll be able to form a coherent sentence when <laughs> we do Pride of Jennifer. So you have all Jennifer Tilly to. around, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very understandable. Oh, yes. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Take care. Be safe. thank you once again for listening.